Welcome to the One Life Community Church Podcast. We're glad you're joining us. Our mission is to lead people to follow Jesus in everyday life. We're on a journey together to live and learn what it means to love God and love people. Our hope is that God would supernaturally use this message to influence and encourage others to follow Jesus. As Ronnie said, my name is Sean. I'm one of the overseers here at One Life. Additionally, I'm also a chaplain at United Regional Hospital, so if I do get the opportunity to care for you, which I hope that I don't, but if you do come in the hospital um, and get the opportunity to care for you, um, try to remember me. Try to remember my face, and I will do the best to remember yours as well. So today we are in the middle of our series, Last Meal, and we're kind of at the culmination of this series, in my opinion, to where we see Jesus begin to reveal himself um, in God's plan for his life and the, his plan for the disciples' life right here in this moment. So we're going to be in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can go ahead and get that out. If you have a device, go ahead and pull that up, and we'll read the Scriptures together. Now, normally I make you stand when I read the Scriptures. I'm not going to do that today. But when I say, this is the word of the Lord, any of my Presbyterian brothers tell me what to say after that? Say it again. Thanks be to God. God. So I'm hoping that you'll be able to do that, okay? All right, so we can get that call and response going here early. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, You would have known my father also. For now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Beautiful. You guys did a great job. You passed the test early here this morning. So to give you a little bit of background so that we know where we're at, what we're dealing with here, and we keep the scripture within the context at which it was written, John's gospel was penned by the Apostle John um, sometime around 8080, between 8080 and 8090. It was written after all the rest of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, so we actually get to see this Gospel be a little bit different than the other three. We find that there's some I am statements in this Gospel that are only unique to John's Gospel, and it's Jesus declaring himself as I am. We know that God called himself I am back in the Old Testament, so this emphatically would have been Jesus claiming to be God, which was a big deal. We find those statements only in John's Gospel. Now, John was a great friend of Jesus. In fact, he was known as the one whom Jesus loved. This is very close to him. And John is one of the apostles that did not die by martyr's death. In fact, it looks like he died of old age. He also penned a few other books in the Bible, one being the book of Revelation, and it is tradition that he was boiled alive in Rome. So he was heavily persecuted for... um, his beliefs. 
as well as being one of the early church fathers, I think it was in the first century, he was seen as the guy to learn from, the um, teacher to set under as well. So we see him writing his gospel a little bit different, including stories and pictures um, that we do not see in the other gospels. And it's a little bit slower, and it's, a, uh, it's written with a little bit more color, okay, um, because he was the one that Jesus loved, so he was a very loving guy. And we see in chapter 14, now this is very interesting, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you this, and it's an old seminary joke, and you can laugh if you want, you probably won't. But you know how we got the chapters and verses in the Bible? I didn't think you knew. Okay, here we go. <laughs> I bet Eb does. But nonetheless, I'm going to tell my joke anyway. Thank you, sir. All right, so it's been said that they rode around in a horse and buggy, and every bump they hit was a verse, and every pothole they hit was a chapter. And that's how they figured out where to place them. Laugh track now. <laughs> Which is completely why this doesn't make sense for us. Why they broke chapter 13 up with chapter 14, because this is one story and it flows together because Jesus is addressing in 14.1 what is happening in the rest of chapter 13. So let's take a look at chapter 13 and then we'll get to 14. We find Jesus announcing his betrayal by Judas telling Judas to do it ever so quickly. So we have betrayal going on. And remember, they're all at the last meal, lounging around, having a good time. And then Jesus announces his departure. He says, you guys, I'm going to leave and you can't come with me. So we have betrayal. We have departure. And then Peter says, I'm going with you, Lord. And he says, no, 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 you won't. In fact, the rooster will crow three times, or you will deny me three times before the rooster crows, which we all know if you've been around church for a while, that has happened. And it did happen. So we have betrayal, departure, and denial, which sounds like a really good soap opera, doesn't it? But let's just go a little bit further. How many of you guys have ever been betrayed? How many of you by a close friend? How many of you guys have ever seen someone depart from your life and never return? How many of you have ever dealt with death? Okay, so we've all dealt with departure. How many of you have ever dealt with rejection, which is just denial? Someone saying they know you, and then when they're around a certain crowd, they act like they don't know you, if you've been in junior high, <laughs> right? So we have betrayal, departure, and denial. And to slap this thing into context, what you have to understand is that these disciples, these apostles, these friends of Jesus who are having this meal with him, would have known that a Messiah was coming and they would have understood that that Messiah was going to pull them out of the persecution that they were under. But what they didn't understand is it wasn't the persecution from Rome that he was going to withdraw them from. It was the persecution of sin. But for them, they would have been thinking, we finally have our king. We're finally going to have our kingdom. We're finally going to be outside of Roman rule. And then Jesus begins to talk about being betrayed and being denied and then departing. And so when we read this first verse in chapter 14, we kind of begin to understand this. So let's read it together. It says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Have you ever found yourself in a moment of distress? Things were going well. The phone rings. Really bad news comes across the line and your heart is troubled. 
Have you ever found yourself in a moment of anxiety because you just don't know what the future holds? It's that fear of the unknown. Or maybe it's anxiety in dealing with people because you're afraid that they're going to judge you and you just don't know what to do or how to act. Or maybe it's just hard times in general. Anybody ever had any hard times? I'm the only one. So these guys were confused and he knew that their hearts would be troubled. In fact, if you look right up where he begins to announce his betrayal by Judas, it says that he was broken in spirit, which means Jesus' heart was troubled. We have a friend in Jesus. Has your heart ever been troubled? I want you to think on that for a minute. What keeps you up at night? What troubles your heart? Jesus goes on a little bit further to help them through the troubled heart by saying this, believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I want to illustrate this for you because I'm the carrot top of preachers and that's just what I do. I always have props. Believe in God, believe also in me. In the Greek, there is um, a mood at which the verb is translated here. I am not a Greek scholar. It's all Greek to me, but I've done enough research that I'm hoping that I can illustrate this for you and then show you why I think this is here. He says in this particular version, which is the ESV, he says this, believe in God, believe in me also. Now, when it comes to mood in the Greek, there are two words, indicative and imperative. If you look at the book of Ephesians, it's a good example of these two moods. The first three chapters of Ephesians are indicative. Those are facts about God. Those things are concrete truths okay, that we know. And then the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians is imperative. And the imperatives are commands. They're there because of the indicatives. We know these facts about God, so it's imperative that we do these things. In this particular translation, there are three different interpretations, which is totally confusing. In fact, if you look at the bottom of your Bible and you see the little number, it tells you to look down. It says down there, or you believe in God, which is the other translation. I know you're totally confused, but just hang with me, okay? So here's the deal. Indicative is concrete. Indicative is concrete. So if it's an indicative statement is you believe in God, you believe in me also. Indicative, which means that I believe that this chair can hold me up and I'm going to sit in it because I believe that. Those are indicative things. I know it will. You understand that? Okay, so now let's look at the other translation, which is indicative. I believe this chair will hold up, but now I'm being commanded to sit in it. That's imperative. Do you see that? All right, so now imperative, imperative is which the translation that this ESV uses, and I'm going somewhere with this. Hang in there with me. I know Greek is hard on a Sunday morning. It's all Greek to me, too. Believe in God. I'm going to believe. It's imperative. It is a command that I believe that that's a chair. Believe in me also. It is imperative that I sit in it. So it's not just a command to believe this is a chair. It's a command to sit in it. It's not just a command to believe in God, but it's a command to sit in Christ. Do you see it now? So here's the thing about this is the only way that we will find rest and we will have rest for our troubled hearts is to believe in God 
and to set in Christ. Oh, now I'm starting to preach here because I can feel it, my brother. So the question then is, why three interpretations? I have read book after book trying to figure this out, and I missed this in the first service, so you guys get a yum-yum they didn't get. Why three different interpretations? Why would the Greek word be left open like that for the different moods? Here's the thing. Sometimes in your life you're going through something where you have to be commanded to believe in God, and you have to be commanded to sit in the chair. Anybody ever been there? Where life is so tough that you don't want to believe, but you have to. And sometimes we're so rebellious in sin, actually, that we have to be commanded to sit in the chair too, but we also have to know that the chair is going to hold us up. So I think that the different moods of this verb are meeting us where we're at because doesn't Jesus meet us where we're at and give us exactly what we need? So I don't know where you are today or what's troubling your heart, but I want you to know this. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus also. Or if it's where you're at where you need to hear you believe, where you need to hear you believe in God, you believe in Jesus also. Receive that too as well. I think that's why it's open in interpretation. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Verse 2, here's the promise. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, in the King Jimmy version, the KJV, that says mansion. So that's the one I'm going to go with today. It's actually translated suites. My wife and I got a, a, that's my wife down here, Jessica. We got a, that's why I'm pointing. I'm not pointing at Ashley, so. <laughs> when we were married, her, wife, her aunt and uncle gave us a timeshare for our honeymoon. And it was in Cancun. And when we got there, they said, we have a room for you. And I actually left this out of the first service and I remembered it. They took us up and they showed us this room. And it was, oh man, it was wonderful. And they said, now we're going to bring you back downstairs and we want you to sit through this 30-minute session. We're going to feed you dinner, you know, this whole thing. They were going to sell us a timeshare. I didn't know this at the time, but that's what they were going to do. We got over there. We're like, we don't really want to do this. We just want to go sit on the beach. So we left it and went back up to the counter. And we said, hey, we're ready to check in for our room. And so the lady said, well, did you not sit through the... We were like, well, this is really not our thing, you know, whatever. And she said, okay, just a minute. Your room's ready. We got up to our room, and it did not look like the room they showed us. It was the old bait and switch. And here's the thing. This isn't the bait and switch. Jesus is promising us a room, and what he promises, he delivers on. It's not like us when he came to us, and they said there's no room at the inn. That's not going to happen to us. There are going to be rooms, plenty of rooms, one specific for you. This would have been pretty profound for these guys because they had left everything to follow Jesus. In that day and age, you became what your father was. So if your father was a carpenter or if your father dug ditches or whatever it was that they did back then, that's what you became. And by your family name, it was actually illegal to call someone else your father 
if it wasn't your biological father because in that day and age, that's where your inheritance came from. So when Jesus is saying, I prepare, uh, prepare many rooms, I told you that I'm telling the truth, they're going to be there. I'm going to prepare this place to welcome you into this house. He wouldn't have been a liar. He would have been a truth teller. Also in that day and age, they would um, actually build upon their father's house many rooms. That's how they added their family members to their compound so you could have direct access to, to your dad at all times. How many of you guys have ever traveled? How many of you guys like to go to the beach? You like to go to the mountains or wherever? Cool. You guys can raise your hands really well. I'm proud of you. <laughs> There's a point. Although the vacation's wonderful, as Dorothy says, there's no place like home. When you first lay down in that bed, you put your head on the pillow, what do you do? Jesus prepares a place for you. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me also. For in my house there are many rooms. Now, you know, I I put myself in these guys' shoes a little bit because they're hearing him say this, and I'm thinking to myself, well, their life probably turns out pretty good then because they're with Jesus, they're believing in Jesus, and in American Christianity says you put your faith in God and your life will be better, right? The truth is your life might not be better, but you can actually sustain it and overcome the troubles in your life. That's the truth. Notice this about the people at this table. Simon Peter was crucified upside down. That's how he died. All of them died martyr deaths except for John. Andrew was crucified on an X, tied to an X, and tradition says that he was preaching the whole time they were killing him. James was beheaded. He was the first martyr. Philip was hung in Turkey. Nathaniel was flayed to death. You know what that means? They filleted him like a fish. Matthew died a martyr's death. We don't know a whole lot of details about his. Thomas was speared to death in India. And I have to laugh about this, and and it's probably not a good thing to laugh about, but the the second James in the group, James number two, they actually called him James the Less, which I'm like, ain't he dead already? I mean, come on. James the Less, he was killed in lower Egypt. And I was like, what do they do, bury him in a shallow grave? I mean, geez. This guy gets no respect, right? He's the Rodney Dangerfield of, of apostles. It said he was sawed into pieces. Thaddeus was shot to death with arrows, and Simon the Zealot was crucified. So don't buy into that thing to where when you become a Christian, your life is going to get better. It may get worse, but you can overcome the worseness of your life. So Q&A with Jesus. That's where we find ourselves. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, 
you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This guy named Thomas Kempis said it this way. He said, without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. Jesus is the way. Jesus is inclusive and exclusive all at the same time. In that there are many ways to Jesus, but only one to the Father. And in our day and age, people want to believe that there are many ways to God. We can just be spiritual. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the way. How many many of you guys remember when Highway 82 was being built? That's the one to holiday for you newbies around here. I remember as a kid coming in from Owl Park, we'd be on the side road stopping at every stoplight, and I would look at the berms and just visualize that road being built and thought, man, I wish they would build this road so we wouldn't have to stop at all these stoplights. And finally, somebody came in and made the way and built the road and completed it. Jesus is the way. How many of you guys have ever seen Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade? So I'm showing my age now. You remember the part where he scatters the grain or the, uh, the gravel across the bridge and all of a sudden you can see the bridge at which you couldn't see before? That's what's happening in this moment as Jesus is revealing himself as not only the maker of the way but the sustainer of the way. He is the bridge himself. Knowing the way is a response in following Jesus' guidance, trusting he will do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves, which is to gain access to God. Think about the Old Testament. God would come down and dwell inside the tabernacle, and they would come in to meet with him. Actually, a priest would to make sacrifices for the atoning of sin. Jesus makes the way on the cross. It's called vicarious substitutionary atonement. What does that mean? Atoning is to make right. Substitute, does anybody know what the word substitute means? In our place. Vicarious. Have you ever heard of a dad that lives vicariously through their son? Do you get it? We get to live through Jesus in our place. Man, if that doesn't get you excited, then you've went to sleep. Jesus is the way. He has taken it out of our hands because we're the ones that made it wrong to begin with. Jesus is the truth. We teach our kids to not use the words always and never when it comes to life situations and people because it's a what? A lie. In fact, what we say is often what we tell ourselves. So if we're saying things are always and never about those life situations and people, we begin to believe that, which is a lie. The only person to ever walk the face of the earth is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he is the only one we can say always and never about because he is absolute truth. You ever caught your kids in a lie? You ever caught yourself in a lie? I mean, I don't know. (laughs) What about your spouse? Ooh, stepping on some toes now. When my mom would catch me in a lie, she would say, what do you have to say for yourself? (laughs) Which meant tell me the truth, right? Jesus is what God has to say for himself. 
He is truth embodied. He is absolute truth. So Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. And Jesus is the life. He's the author, creator, and sustainer of all that which we see. Even people that are not in Christ or not believers enjoy the life that Christ gives. Our world is held together by what's called common grace. So when we enjoy the good things of life, we have to look to Jesus and thank him. How many of you guys have been to the beach, mountains? I asked this earlier. See, I'm bringing it full circle, just like Dave Chappelle. Here we go. (laughs) When we lived in Mississippi, I would sit on the beach. Now, don't go Florida. It looks like Lake Arrowhead there. (laughs) So I would sit on the beach with the chair, the fruity drink, and the umbrella, maybe a good book, take a deep breath and I would say this is the life when we set in Christ we believe in God and set in Christ we can take that deep breath and say this is the life Christ addressed the restless the restlessness of our heart by setting in him by resting in him and that's what he's telling these apostles Don't let your hearts be troubled. Although I'll be gone for a little while, I will return for you, and I've made a place for you. The scriptures say that Jesus, when he ascended back to heaven after rising again, it says that he sitteth, King James, baby, at the right hand of God. He sitteth at the right hand of God, and he has made a place for us, and I believe it to be at the feet of Jesus. We'll never have, and we'll always be satisfied, and we'll never have a want for anything more. See how I got to use those words? At the feet of Jesus is where all of us belong, worshiping him, putting our faith in the way, the truth, and the life. So if you guys would bow your heads, we're going to throw it old school here this morning. Some of us have been away from God for a long time. I've been there. I spent a good amount of my party days away from Jesus. In fact, I would say that I came to know him when I was nine and spent 15 years of my life acting like I didn't know existed. And some of you are right there in that place here this morning, and I'm asking you to put your faith and trust in the way, the truth, and the life. There are going to be people standing up here in the front during this song. You can respond old school altar call style. You can come up and have people pray for you. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you can feel God reaching out of heaven and grabbing hold of your heart and calling you home. There are days of importance in our lives, but today is of the utmost importance. You can make the biggest decision of your life, and that is to put your faith and trust in him. So as the band plays, with your heads bowed, And as the Spirit leads, you can stand. And then if the Spirit leads further, you can come forward and pray with the team up here. Put your faith in the way.